You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Road. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Today we present part one of our Brewer's Guide to Wilds of Eldraine, a set full of cheap adventures and brutally efficient one-mana plays. Power creep intensifies on every trip to Oko's Woods, but which cards will hit in Modern and Pioneer? This is season 19 of Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Schriever, also known as Cave Dan, here for the beginning of season 19 of Faithless Brewing, in which we're talking all about Wilds of Eldraine. Season 19. And with me to kick off this historic season is Lawson Zandy. Lawson, welcome back. It's good to be back. It's wild to think that we're almost at enough seasons where the podcast can vote. Um, but, uh, not, not quite, you know, a couple more sets. <laughs> MH, MH3, we'll be able to vote, baby. Oh my gosh. MH3. Don't say these words. It's happening. They've said it's happening, but today we get to enjoy, uh, some other, uh, wild, wild stories. So pretty excited. Yeah. Good vibes today. Positive vibes today. We're right in the thick of official preview season, and I do say official because somebody, as often happens, decided it would be a good idea to just take a box full of promo packs and just crack them open and post them online. Somebody did that. We're not going to talk about those. I've done my best to only select the cards that have been officially previewed, but there's a chance I messed up, so I do apologize if we accidentally talk about a leaked card. Knowledge is knowledge. Free, free my man. <laughs> but yeah i mean this that's looking sweet i'm excited eldrian one is a tough act to follow lawson flavor wise i thought it was really good nobody remembers that of course everyone remembers how freaking busted the set was and you had to wonder if they were going to attempt to match the power level of eldrian one or if they were just going to say okay that was an accident <laughs> let's just go back to fairy tales and just a random powered set but Looking at the cards I'm seeing now, I mean, they're they're quite good. I think they're quite good. Yeah, I I definitely will say I, I loved the first Eldraine. It was a phenomenal set. I think that Oko steals a lot of the storyline of just how powerful Eldraine was. But, you know, they, they brought back uh, the original Eldraine for draft on Arena. And I've been playing a ton of Mystic Sanctuary. Mm. And I think for those of y'all who have not played modern with that card or it's been a little bit it is maybe the worst designed magic card of all time uh, there is no greater moment of this in my memory than watching a star city games uh, event coverage seeing a player top deck a fetch land and hearing cedric phillip goes oh and the game is over he drew a land he now has locked his opponent out and that is 
That was a wild thing. I think that Wizards has learned possibly um, by uh, not putting all the text on lands this time. They just filled every single card up with text instead. So, you know, that's growth or something. But the cards were busted, that's for sure. But is it really the design of the Mystic Sanctuary was a problem? Or is it the Fetchlands keeps visiting its sins upon generation after generation of descendants? Well, you never had to play Legacy, but getting to pick up your mystic sanctuary with days is a war crime. So I I think, I think you just shouldn't put a bunch of keywords on lands with any type of uh, ability because you could also get them with uh, the modern uh, or not modern, but the Lords uh, of the rings cyclers as well. So if you, you know, want to live in that magical fairyland, you could. Every once in a while, someone points out that Mystic Sanctuary is still legal in Pioneer. And I was like, wow, it is? <laughs> it is. It's pretty sweet. Um, but yeah, islands are not very good in Pioneer. So there's that. So lots to live up to for Wilds of Eldraine, but I dare say I, I think it's going to be up to the task. So we should just jump into the cards. But before we do Lawson, I have to give a quick shout out at the top to our wonderful patrons. And we got a bunch of them this week. Gotta give a shout out to our newest patrons. They are Troy G, Kuba, Kishon, Shpi1, Seth H, and Bryn J. Thank you, thank you very, very much to those individuals and welcome to the Faithless family. As always, a reminder that if you enjoy the program and you like what we're doing here at Faithless Brewing, the best way to support us is by going to patreon.com slash faithless brewing you can make a pledge at any tier you are comfortable with that gets you immediate access to our wonderful discord community and this is the time when you want to be in that discord because uh, these cards have a lot of text on them lawson they have a lot of text on them i'm struggling to like think through all the angles but the people in the discord they're on the ball the brews are flying the ideas are flying and um, we got some spicy ones cooking Absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, this is definitely the time to be in the Discord. This is a set that has almost 300 cards in it, and it feels like, you know, 100 of them have another card stapled on top of them. So it's uh, definitely a good place. Uh, there are people that have encyclopedic knowledge about cards for the past 20 years that will bring up random things from Shadow Moore. So it's good to, you know, have have that resource, to say the least. I also just want to give a special welcome to Kuba, who sent us a nice message saying that they are also a fan of Demir and specifically God Eternal Kefnet. <laughs> Shows what I know, right? Here I was thinking that Kefnet will get no downloads at all, and we've already got two devoted Kefnet patrons in the last two weeks. They're all on that David Pioneer Brewing train. So we see you, Kefnet players. We see you. It's the homeless man Shieldred, right? You need a four drop for your your value deck go ahead get a kefnet my my one second review is good seat still available take that as you will <laughs> all right lawson let's talk wilds of eldraine big picture what are we looking at for this set well i think the best thing to start with is of course new mechanics um the there are a couple returning favorites in the world of eldraine uh, so we are going to get to play with Adventure again. These are cards that let you play a spell side first, and then the permanent afterwards, which are always very exciting. 
uh, think Bone Crusher Giant, think, um, you know, a, a bunch of really, really great things specifically for uh, standard of pass. But also, you know, a lot of these did see Pioneer play and a few of them have even creeped into modern. So those are exciting. Uh, we also have uh, food tokens coming back. And then we have two really big uh, add-ons in the set. The simple one, I'm putting air quotes around that, is going to be Bargain. Bargain is a, let's call it an updated form of kicker. Hmm. Uh, but instead of paying additional mana, you sacrifice an artifact, enchantment, or token to cast this spell. So a great example of this would be uh, one mana um, red instant called Torch the Tower. Uh, Torch the Tower deals two damage to target creature or planeswalker. If this spell was bargained, instead it deals three damage to... Uh, the target, and you scry one. And then if a permanent dealt damage by towards the tower would die this turn, exile it instead. So kind of a, a flexible modal spell that has a kind of specific, but also kind of generalized uh, kicker cost. So Kicker cost meaning additional cost. You announce it as you play it. You got to make that sacrifice when you put towards the tower on the stack. But you're free to just not bargain it. You get... You know, perfectly fine flame bliss bolts if you do that. Mm. Yes, absolutely. So, a really, really interesting kind of mechanic um, for people that are thinking about these cards. It is not free to get it, of course, uh, but it is definitely uh, something that is very approachable if you think about it in deck construction. So, pretty, pretty interested in a lot of these. And then the other big new add-on, and this is the more probably complex of the two, is rolls. So rolls are a new type of token. They are enchantment auras. So think of them like you would a ethereal armor or pacifism. They go on to creatures. And five of the six of them are going to be um, buffs that you're going to put onto your creatures. There is one that uh, oftentimes you'll want to put on your opponent's creature. And a creature can only have one roll per player on it so uh, if you were to have a land war elf that you put the royal role onto if later in the game you then gave him the monster role he would then lose his royal role which sounds wild <laughs> but this is the world we live in uh these uh tokens are in fact also enchantments so they will trigger constellation they will trigger um uh, other effects like uh, fatal pushes revolt if you lose one so uh, these these are full game objects, so definitely an exciting world. Yeah, I mean, a token enchantment or a rule that is technically a game object. I don't know if your rectangle theory applies because these are not rectangles; they're like half. I guess it is kind of a, a half rectangle. It's a rectangle. rectangle. I haven't taken math in a while. It's a rectangle. Just don't don't wear glasses. <laughs> but. It's not the easiest card type to turn into something, right? If you're thinking of sacrifice a creature for value or deadly dispute an artifact for value, well, you're not going to do that to these token enchantment aura rules. The only thing you can really do with them is, A, you can bargain them, this new mechanic that Lawson just talked about, or you do something in, I guess, the, the enchantment space without the other place to do it, like Constellation or something like that. Yes, so there is going to be some interesting, uh, you know, triggers for Constellation. 
these are also randomly things that you will lose to like disenchant mm. that's just like a thing to keep in mind I, I think the easiest way to think about these are they're just very similar to putting a plus one plus one counter so most most of these roles have uh, and I'll, I'll take the monster role for example uh, it's enchantment or a roll uh, enchanted creature gets plus one plus one and trample so it it mostly plays out like this. One of them gives plus one, plus one, and ward one. One of them is plus one, plus one, and when the enchantment dies, you get to have your opponent lose a life. One is a random tacked on scry. So they're they're all pretty f- reasonable at, it is a plus one, plus one counter uh, for, you know, kind of shorthand thinking about them. They, of course, you can't have multiple of these on a creature. It would be insane for something to be both a monster, royal, and wicked. So, uh, you can only have one roll at a time. So that is the the only thing to keep in mind when it comes to shorthanding this. Uh, there is uh, one other keyword uh, called celebration. That celebration is a keyword that will only trigger or be active if you had two or more non-land permanents enter the battlefield under your control this turn. This critical rolls is a really good way to turn that on because many of these cards... The rolls will be made from a permanent coming into play. That permanent will make the roll. The roll is your second thing. So kind of interesting uh, that a lot of these mechanics kind of play inside of the set. Uh, I don't know how impactful that will mean they are for outside of limited play, uh, but definitely very exciting to see Wizards testing out some new things, to say the least. So Bargain looks like very much a, a Brewer's style mechanic. Right, it's trading resources. It's making these sacrificial exchanges. We can try to get a favorable rate of return by getting rid of unfavorable enchantment. So obviously they have the cursed rule that you want to get rid of, but maybe we want to get rid of a demonic pact or or a hatching plans or something like that. Um, you can dream big with bargain celebration i mean david was telling me this is just a a bland limited mechanic i'm wondering if you agree lawson as a limited expert i love being an expert um i I will say it does feel very limited to me i i just never want to think in my constructed game that i'm going to have a card in play that then needs me to do other things because i just assume all of my things are being taken by grief and fury uh, or my opponent has a one ring and my permanents are kind of invalidated so i i don't think that this will be a super big play in the more eternal formats uh, there are a couple that are pretty aggressively pushed that might see some light uh, standard and pioneer play but i i think if you want to have a hard and fast rule to it uh, celebration just keep scrolling unless unless you are a red white aggro aficionado and think that you know this is actually what the deck has been missing you you can just keep looking there's other sweet things going on in the set you don't have to try and you know make make this a four out of ten card a six out of ten and then run with that forever that's probably true like the mechanic is not super interesting but i was thinking about our discussion last week um and david and i were talking about friend of the show law 11 who's got this great blog and he he just posted like a couple more articles this week one of them was reflecting on why luris was so powerful and the explanation is that like well it's not just that it was broken but it also tricked you into building your deck correctly right like you were always supposed to be playing cheap cards and luris kind of forced you to do that 
And I'm wondering if Celebration has something similar going for it. Like this card here, Ash Party Crasher. It's an uncommon, so signpost uncommon. Not super interesting. 2-2 two, two haste for red and white. Whenever it attacks, if two or more non-land permanents enter the battlefield under control this turn, you put a plus one plus one counter on Ash, so you can imagine yourself attacking with a 3-3, three, three, and then a 4-4, four, four, and then a 5-5 five, five with haste. And you think, well, that's not that impressive. Like, why would I go out of my way to do that? But the thing is, you're not going out of your way because you should be doing this anyway. Like, you should probably be building your deck like this anyway. Um, vomiting game objects into play is a good strategy. And whether that, you know, is Voldaren Epicures or Thraven Inspectors or some of these things that create wicked rolls. Um, I don't know. Like, m maybe these cards will actually show up in Pioneer. Definitely. I mean, I, I think that uh, a really good example of that that a lot of people like kind of overlook is definitely just Urza Saga. Like Urza Saga is the card that has been thrown into more decks than any other thing in modern. Um, and it's just because it's a single card that lets you take a lot of game actions. But I think a lot of people just like forget about, oh, yeah, if I don't use my mana, I don't get anything. So guaranteeing that I can do stuff means things are happening, you know, and that's like a very simplified way of looking at it. but. Cards that tell you to do stuff oftentimes make the game end. So I would probably play those cards. So, yeah, I, I think it is something that is good for card design. I think it's going to be super sweet for a limited properly. I'm not worried about any of these uh, cards. Uh, as I generally am not uh, a red-white signpost card uh, ever breaking a format. Sorry, sorry for all of the Boris uh, stands <laughs> out there, but that's that's just generally how I feel about uh, the cards that they give us for red and white. Pretty pretty on rails to say the least, usually. So you mentioned the card Torch the Tower, the bargain flame bless bolt. The card's kind of interesting, actually. My first thought was, uh, it's just like a it's like a voltage surge, but voltage surge is more fun it's a bigger effect for damage but it's not right it's not exactly the same it sacrifices different types of permanence there's that cursed roll always tempting you to get rid of the cursed roll for profit it has that exile clause and it has a scry if you're just thinking of it as <laughs> have we ever played flame bless bolt yes we have like i used to play magma spray unironically that was just like a card i played in my main deck and sideboard and pioneer um and this is just so much better it's like an afterthought kind of card, but I think we're going to see a lot of cards like that because these roll tokens all require you to have one drops. This set is just full of one drops. It's full of one drops. It's full of one mana plays. It's yeah. full of like one and two mana adventures that are stapled onto other cards. When I'm talking about things that are best in class, right? A version of an effect at the cheapest or most efficient rate we've ever seen it. I mean, this set just has a ton of them, a ton of cards like that because one mana tends to be the cheapest you can get. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that's something that I do love about bargain is that like, if a card is reasonable without having to use the bargain, then I'm kind of interested to play the card because I don't need it to do much more. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to just autopilot to the cards of the bargain, I'm casting them and I'm not bargaining them most of the time. And then if I ever get to do the bargain, I'm like, super, super excited. Like Farsight Ritual, here, here's a great one as a reference. It's two blue and two. Look at the top four cards of your library. Uh, if the spell was barkened, instead you look at the top eight cards and you get to put uh, two of them in your hand and the rest on the bottom. You always get to put two cards in your hand. 
So if you're paying four mana for this, you're not doing the bargain side. You're basically playing the card from just a couple of sets ago that all of the blue white players and forever have been super, super excited Mm. about. And if you ever bargain it, it is just dig through time. Like that's, that's kind of sweet, you know, and there will definitely be moments where someone goes to kill something of yours and you go, Oh, the bargain cost is free right now. Awesome. Like, well, let's not insult Dig Through Time. This costs four, no matter what. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's like the flashback side of the other one, uh, the Memory Deluge. So it's powerful. And yeah, that's that's one of the, the worst bargain cards. They're all pretty good. I mean, they all look really good and very open-ended. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, as is our usual custom, maybe we should just start from the top. And by the top, I mean the cheapest mana costs, because these tend to be the cards that just make it into more decks. Um, with some notable four drops being the exceptions. So we'll start with the lands and preface by saying that if you're coming to, into this thinking, I only play modern, you maybe won't understand why these cards are interesting, <laughs> but if you're a pioneer player, I think these are all like super, super exciting. This is like one of the best pioneer sets that I've seen in a while. With that in mind, uh, we have some new creature lands. And we'll start off with the black-green one, Restless Cottage. Lawson, tell us about the Restless Cottage. The Restless Cottage. So all of these lands are going to come into play tapped. They're going to tap for their color combination. And then uh, this one's activation cost is two colorless, a black and a green. The Restless Cottage becomes a 4-4 black and green horror creature until the end of turn. It's still a land. And whenever it attacks, you get to create a food token and exile up to one target card from a graveyard. Uh, this card is very exciting to me. I do want to give one note for all older players out there. All of these uh, manlands, as they have always been called, uh, their ability that triggers on the attack is not associated with the activation. So activating your Restless Cottage will not give it its attack trigger multiple times. It will just turn it into a thing with legs multiple times, which doesn't do you any extra good. So activating these lands uh, will only ever happen once in a turn. So that is something important to keep in mind. I did not notice that. That's very interesting. So you can't get two plus one plus one counters on your land, for example. Okay. So what I like about the Restless Cottage is... It's just so much bigger than the hissing quagmire. Like quagmire was always just yeah, it's just the odd duck in the in the party. Like I played it in some black green rock decks. I even played it in modern, but it was just terrible. You know, two two death touch or whatever. For just one more mana, you get a big finisher, and not just a finisher, but a finisher that starts to clean up the board state, right? Giving you extra life, cleaning up a problematic card in their graveyard. If I'm playing, uh, I'm going to use the word rock, if I'm playing a rock-style strategy, trading resources, this is exactly the kind of card I want to have left over when the dust is settled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's it's also nice that it's a little bit of main deck hate for graveyards. Any card that randomly lets you pull something out of your opponent's graveyard that just doesn't really cost you anything to play is always going to randomly win you 5% of games against cards that just care about things in the graveyard. You know, like, this is just, this will randomly exile a um, cat oven to half the combo because someone just like forgot that like, oh, he got to fatal push my thing and my thing was tapped and now I don't have a cat. And like, 
All right, cool. If you can get rid of someone's cat, like that really, really shuts down some of those black red sacrifice kind of strategies. So yeah, this this is the man land that I'm the most excited about, to to say the least. So next up, Restless Bivouac. The red white land. So it comes into play taps, taps for red or white. Activation is one red white to turn Restless Bivouac into a two-two red and white ox creature. And then separately from that, as Lawson points out, whenever it attacks, you put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. That's interesting. So you can put those counters on the land itself and they'll be safe-ish there. But you can also just put them on another creature and not have to keep activating the land every turn. That being said, Boros tends to just like not use these lands. They're just too expensive. Yeah, it's a little slow. It's a little clunky. It doesn't really play well against removal spells, which is always kind of the the inherent problem of man lands is that, you know, if, if it's ever a kind of middle point of the game and you have to activate this thing because you just got nothing else going on with your mana and this thing randomly dies, you might just lose the game on the spot. So the the general belief with man lands usually is there's something that you never want to do until you have like no cards in your hand. And so having a low activation cost is usually not that big of a gain because I, I never want to activate this on turn four. I want to play a four drop. Like that's just kind of the way it breaks down. So cool card. I, I like having lands that give us more options, but I, I'm not a super excited about this one and having home. I'm not sure that I agree with that. Like I, I play a lot of mutable these days in modern and you just often just have times to use two extra mana to get some chip damage in best damage that wouldn't happen if it costs an extra mana to activate definitely not if it costs three so i do think that there's there's a very real way in which like the cheaper activations just give you more opportunities to use them but i I hear what you're saying like you should never activate them if the coast is not clear right that would be a disaster to just Mm -hmm. lose your land but it's very relevant for this next land here which is the is it one restless spire comes into play tapped taps for red or blue Activation is only two mana. Just two mana. Red, blue, until end of turn, Restless Spire becomes a 2-1 elemental. As long as it's your turn, it has first strike. And whenever the Restless Spire attacks, you scry one. So you're getting two damage in. You're getting a little mini Vantress effect there, a little scry. And it, it wins some combats against small things too. So it's very, very generous for a land. I'm very surprised at this one. And my first thought was this is super powerful. But Lawson, you're saying you're not convinced. I mean, I, I like the looks of it. It's just I I'm not super interested in an aggressively slanted man land because that means that I need to be aggressive with a land that comes into play tapped a hundred percent of the time. Well, who's who said aggressive though? It's it's just a scry. It's chip damage on the scry. Sure. It's a two one though. You know, I just like if I'm interested in the scry, I think I might want Castle Vantress. Mm. But you know, it, it it's just that it is. It feels like it's probably going to be a 6 out of 10 in almost every scenario, and that that's hard for me to get excited about something that is, like, very niche to be approachable, so. It is sweet, though. I, like, I don't think they could have twisted any of these dials any other way, and that's usually a good way of checking, like, is this card powerful? Could they have done anything more? I'm like, if this thing had been a 3-1, it might have been problematic. If it had been a 2-2, it might be too hard to block early, like... So that is a good thing to check on, and I, I definitely think that they have maxed out the efficiency of a two-mana man land, so. 
Next up, we move on to the one drops and we have a bunch of one drops, a bunch of one drops and a bunch of adventures that cost one too. So this is very exciting. Rat out, black instant, up to one target creature. It gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. You create a rat token. Rat tokens in this set are black creatures with this creature can't block. I I do like the look of this card. Um, there was a, a previous one mana one one that just gave something minus one minus one when it came into play, and that card was uh, very sideboardable in its standard format. It also saw a little bit of play at the beginning of Pioneer when there were um, a little bit heavier uh, devotion mid range beatdown decks in black. Uh, the format has definitely changed a lot since then, but that is definitely a design space that does exist. Uh, Rat is a tribe that does matter in this set, so that is interesting to keep in mind, as well as any time that there is a uh, card type that puts a different card type into play, there's always going to be some amount of, hey, keep your eye on this. Mm-hmm. This is a, another thing that lets us you know, play a creatureless deck other than our polymorph effects, our inspired creativity, like all of those things. So there's something powerful here. I don't know if this is the one that breaks the format, but uh, you know, this is, this is a very, very important sideboard option uh, for some decks in the future, possibly. So it has so many potential roles, right? Like you could sideboard it. If, if there's a lot of land or elves you need to kill, for example, <laughs> If you're playing the rat deck, then sure. I mean, it's a little bit annoying that Karamonix the Rat King can't find it, but this is a a one-drop rat that's actually pretty good. I mean, if you ever get their X1 creature with this, you came out way ahead. It's a token, so if you've got a bargain deck going on, uh, it might be something you're looking for there. And then, of course, the big one, Creativity slash Transmogrify. Let's not gloss that over. My first reaction is, oh, we've seen this before no big deal. But we actually haven't, right? Like, we saw a fungal infection, but that one needed a target. This does not. This is up to one, and that's the that's the most important part of the card, I think. It's like, you're always allowed to just fire this off with zero targets to make your token. That means it's never dead. So I would not be totally shocked to see this as one of the go-to enablers for something like Transmogrify or Creativity. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, no, I, I hadn't even thought about the fact that the up to one, uh, I will also say I do love having an effect like this. If you're in a matchup that the minus one minus one part doesn't matter. It's awesome that, okay, cool. I just have a one one. We're going to start shipping, you know, like in uh, in a deck that is going to be heavy on spells like this, like you're going to have a lot of one for one and card advantage that you can get later in the game. So getting to play your rat out early might mean four or five points of damage, which can matter in some cases. So, you know, that is definitely something to, to keep an eye on. Next up, break the spell. Instant. White. Destroy target enchantment. If a permanent you controlled or a token was destroyed this way, draw a card. Okay, so playing with a set's themes, that means you can destroy your own roll token. Those are um, token enchantments. And as long as you create them, you are the owner. So you, you can destroy your own roll and get a card off of this essentially cycling it uh you can also destroy one of your opponent's rules or one of your opponent's tokens and then it's i won't call it a two for one but it's not horrible i guess and then if you want to get really really spicy you can just destroy uh your demonic pact you can destroy a hatching plans and draw four kind of an intriguing enabler i mean we used to play terrible cards like 
that two and a white sorcery, uh, angelic something, just to sacrifice her mm-hmm. own enchantments. Now you can just pick off your enchantment from one. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually really like this card. So I, I think the first step is just like keeping in mind, this is just demystify, like white one mana, white instant, destroy target enchantment. That used to be a thing that people played in their sideboard. Mm. So if if that is the, the floor, that is awesome. And then it does have a pretty nice thing that it lets you do as well. It does blow up the uh, rolls, which is important. So this means that sometimes your opponent's going to attack with a 3-3 into your 3-3. You're going to get to block. You're going to get to blow up their roll. Now their creature dies. Cool. We turn break the spell into a, a removal spell. Um, this also, it, it is important. This set does have sagas in it. So there is going to be an influx of sagas. Mm. And it is important to remember that with the fourth trigger on the stack, if you want to, you can target your saga with break the spell. And now you've cycled your break the spell. You can, if your opponent has targeted a permanent that this can blow up with, um, break the spell. If you blow their thing up before their adventure resolves, then they don't get their adventure or the backside of it afterwards. So this is flexible, but it also is trying to do a thing. So I would not be main decking this, but I think it is a very, very good sideboard option to have if you're not someone that gets to have uh, a good uh, March of Otherworldly Light setup or a good wear tear Mm. option. But Break the spell definitely checks all our boxes. Okay, so maybe this is one of the cards you might see in modern. Then that's I don't really thought about it in those terms. It's doing some little things, and I'm happy about it. It's trying hard. Next up, a creature, Rotisserie Elemental, red mana, elemental, one one menace. Whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player put a skewer counter on the rotisserie elemental then you may sacrifice it if you do exile the top x cards of your library where x is the number of skewer counters that rotisserie elemental had you may play those cards this turn so this turn not until end of next turn you have to make the choice of sacrificing the elemental right then it's all part of the same trigger so you attack it's got menace so it's probably going to hit Add a skewer counter, then you gotta choose. You gotta eat uh, what looks like some Peking duck they got going on in this artwork here. I don't, I don't know what's going on there. Is that a gilded goose? Something is being. It looks delicious, <laughs> whatever it is. Uh, you gonna eat that now? Or are you gonna save it for next turn? I don't think we're gonna be eating it very much. Um, this card looks like Beaumont Courier, and Beaumont Courier was a staple of its standard. It still sees play all over the place, and one and two ofs things that this card does not do uh one you do not get to choose when you cash this in you cash this in when you hit someone so your opponent kind of gets to choose whether or not you get the cards underneath it also not having haste means it will always have one less card than a thing with haste would have had so that is a little not inspired about it and i am i'm a non-believer as i'm going to state so far with the rotisserie elemental Uh, i will say it does have maybe the best name of any card in a long time. Uh, if this card had been printed in uh, the original years of Magic, I know its creature type would have been Creature Dash Rotisserie Elemental. Like it, <laughs> it, it would have had a fantastic uh, look to it. And I'm a little sad that that is a missed opportunity. But yeah, you know, twenty twenty nine years too late. But happy it showed. 
I think you're being a little bit harsh on the comparison. Obviously, we miss haste. Haste is so good, and we miss being an artifact. So Bomat has a lot going for it. But the vast majority of Bomat couriers are never cashed in. They get killed first, and the reason that happens is because it costs mana to sacrifice a Bomat courier. You really can't do it until you've emptied your hand. So the opponent kind of like knows when they have to actually start worrying about the card. Reticial Elemental, okay, it's slower, but you don't have to discard anything, right? You can just immediately trade this in on the second skewer counter to hit a land drop or to get a two for one. Bomat Courier, it's just a one one, the hardest working one drop at the gym, sure, but you can just get blocked by anything. This one has menace, you're not gonna actually stop this unless you actually have removal spells. So it's got a little bit of sauce going for it. Uh, the creature type might matter. I can't currently think of anything that makes that matter, but I, I will say it does have the the biggest downside of it to me is that you have to hit the person to pop it, and it also has the awkwardness that you can only play those cards this turn. Mm, A lot true. of cards like this recently have been um, tech, uh, templated so that you can play them until the end of the next turn. If you have to use a removal spell so that you can sneak your rotisserie chicken through, or rotisserie elemental, sorry, I'm hungry, <laughs> um, so you can sneak the elemental by, and then you know you crack it open, and underneath it are two spells. Yay, spells! Oh, I only have enough mana to cast one of them. Sad. Oh, one of them's a removal spell, and my opponent doesn't have a removal spell. Sad. Like There's, there's going to be a lot of things that, like, you're going to op open up your Christmas gift and see inside that there is coal. So... Uh, you know, very, very much a Brothers Grimm-esque thing to, to find. So if haste is the thing that you're missing, you, you may be interested instead in the Harried Spear Guard. Another one drop, red mana, human soldier, 1-1 one, one haste. And when Harried Spear Guard dies, you create a 1-1 one, one black rat creature token with this creature can't block. Hmm, that's kind of interesting, Lawson. 1-1 one, one haste human dies into a rat. I love it. This is everything I love. Uh, this is 2023 Doomed Vanguard, or or sorry, Doomed Traveler, or uh, Unlucky Witness. I think is the name of the one from Guild of Ravnica. Don't don't uh, test me though. I'm not in a court of law. But uh, no, I, I mean I love one ones for one mana that turn into other things. This is great sack fodder. I mean rats matter in this format, so that's awesome. Um, I am very very excited to play a lot of this card. I'm a little sad that the bargain mechanic doesn't let you sack the spear guard itself, but mm. it does let you sacrifice the, um, the rat inside. So I'm going to be playing a lot of this card in draft and in constructed. So That's going to take some wrapping my head around to get used to. So bargain sacrifices enchantments, tokens, and artifacts. It does not sacrifice creatures. Yeah, very, very much the old historic problem of people not remembering. Oh, yes, artifacts are always historic, but also sagas are and legends, but not this one is. Yeah, it's things to keep in mind. You know, the, the bargain mechanic does add some percentage of value to random uh, lines of text. Sometimes the line of text is dash token. So I I'm excited for that. All right, we talked about Rat Out as an exciting black one drop. There are like five or six more black one drops that I want to talk about. There's so many, and they're all so good. I'm locked in. I'm so excited. All right, Lawson, you want to tell us about the Fairy Dream Thief? 
I do want to tell you about the Fairy Dream Thief. So one black mana, one one flying. When it enters the battlefield, surveil one. And um, whenever this card is in your graveyard, you can spend two, uh, two of any color and a black to exile Fairy Dream Thief from your graveyard. You get to draw a card and you lose one life. This card is absolutely insane. Uh, this is one of the cards, by the way, that I think will just be in modern. Uh, this this is going to be in dredge. I'm so sorry for anyone that always forgets that dredge is a deck when spoiler season comes around. This is a card that from your graveyard lets you draw a card, which we don't currently have like basically very much of that effect. And this is a one mana one one flyer that also fuels your graveyard. So if this card is in your opening hand in dredge, you get to like possibly just put a dredge card into your graveyard so uh yeah this card is wildly good i think in dredge also it has fairy maybe my favorite creature type of all time i started my standard play back in the original lorwyn block and yep that was the you know best ever tribe at that time and fairies as a tribe is back in this set so just checking so many boxes for me. I'm very, very excited for the Dream Thief. Dredge seems like a bit of a reach, though. I feel like they have good options. They can't They can't afford to put a card like this in that doesn't guarantee that it will get the Dredge engine going. It just doesn't see enough cards on the Surveil, right? Maybe. And you have Ox. If you really need to draw from the graveyard, you have Ox for that. But I do feel like there is going to be something. It's playing in a slightly different space. Crabvine is where I would go first, but uh, I don't know, like even Crabvine, I don't really want to pay three. That's, that's like a late game play. So maybe fairies is the best home. There's like two more black one drops that are nuts with fairies. We'll get to them in a second here. And this is the card that will enable that. There's also this surveil mechanic. I mean, we're slowly getting towards something with surveil matters. Disinformation campaign is the responsible card. You know, some players in our in our Discord have had some decent results with disinformation campaign and like your in-style mid-range control. For me, it's it's the blue one, enhanced surveillance. I'm always like looking at that card, like maybe, maybe that's good enough, you know? It'll turn my surveil one into a surveil three for just two blue mana and a card. And like maybe you're getting somewhere with that. Yeah, I mean, Again, what, something that I always like to think about when it comes to looking at new magic cards is if you can't tweak dials any further, that's usually a good sign of a card is doing something that is powerful and efficient. This is also one of the reasons why one drops oftentimes can feel kind of busted mm. is because you don't have very many dials that you can turn on a one mana creature, you know? You can't make it have any smaller toughness a lot of the time. You can't make it have any smaller power a lot of the time. So, like, if if you were to tell me that there's a one-mana creature that has flying, surveil one, and a thing to do from the graveyard, I might think, is it an 0-1 flyer? Can it only block? Mm. And the fact that, like, oh, no, it can't attack. It's going to do some amount of chip damage. Like, all right, well, I'm I'm listening. Like, now this this is the kind of thing that can enable a a tempo-y ninjas thing maybe or like there's there's a lot of things that this mm, can do love that. and you know that is just like something that is very very easy to overlook so nice little one drop fairy from there we have a real brewer's card this is a great brewer's card here 
Spiteful Hexmage. Lawson, tell us about Spiteful Hexmage. So the Spiteful Hexmage is a 1-mana 3-2 human warlock. When it enters the battlefield, you create a cursed roll token and attach it to target creature you control. So a cursed roll token makes whatever it is enchanted on a 1-1. So it just changes its power and toughness to 1-1 immediately. So the Spiteful Hexmage, for people that are thinking about the the other mechanic of needing two things to come into play, this is a one-mana thing that puts two rectangles into play. So this automatically turns on that. It also is a really, really powerful thing to interact with Bargain uh, because you can sacrifice the curse on whatever thing you put the hex mage's effect on and now you have made that thing um you know no longer cursed also the curse enchantment isn't always a downside if you put the curse on your arc bound worker your worker got plus one plus one because it was a zero zero holding a counter now it's actually bigger so you know there are actually (laughs) going to be worlds where like this actually isn't even that big of a downside if you ever put a second roll onto a creature, it just will remove the first one. So if you go like turn one spiteful hex mage into turn two, you make it a young hero or whatever. Okay, cool. He's no longer cursed and he's doing this other thing now. So like spiteful hex mage will attack sometimes on turn two for four. Next question. Like, yeah, this guy's he's upset. But you're saying that I, I can actually treat this as like a wild in the kettle that curses my orcish army, my amassed army, and grows it by one. Yes. I, I mean, it's it's a human. So, like, if you put this in your human's deck, your Noble Herrick's a 1-1 now. Your uh, Champion of the Parish is a 1-1 already, so it doesn't matter. Oh, my God. It's still going to hold, hold these counters. Like, some things you're not going to want to put this counter on, or this, this roll on, but... I don't know. I, I don't know if the deck needs a one mana three two, but it kind of has one now. <laughs> I just think this is one of, one of the most exciting cards to brew around, and it's so simple. But there's so many ways to abuse it, right? So obviously, you can try to figure out how to get rid of the cursed roll by bargaining it away, and then it's all profit, right? You grew your hex mage, you got the bargain on whatever the spell was. You can distribute the curse roll to another creature you control, like Lawson's saying. Put it on a zero zero. It's also, it's a trigger, right? So you have a window to respond to the trigger. We were just talking about Reckoner Bankbuster last week and thinking about, you know, maybe we should only play cards that can crew the Reckoner Bankbuster. Well, this can actually crew the Bankbuster just in response to the creating the curse roll token. It'll trigger Evolve as long as you stack it correctly. You can just treat it as a 3-2 for purposes of Evolve. So it's actually, it's just got so much going on, uh, so much going for it that... And the art's very cute. You know, it's this guy turned his dad into a frog. I've got another one for you. Um, you brought a bank buster. If you play the hex mage and with the trigger on the stack making the roll, you crew the vehicle. Mm-hmm. You can put the curse on the vehicle. Okay. And then at the end of turn, when it becomes not a creature anymore, the rolls have to be enchanted on a creature. So once it's not a creature anymore, the curse will fall off. So if you want to if you if you want to not have to worry about the curse and just have your 4-4 bank buster you just like get to have your cake and eat it too i'm not sure if that is a thing that is going to matter i think that works that would be really sweet if it did oh no that is 
That is absolutely how it works. I think the issue is that you have to choose a target as soon as the hex mage comes into play because the target is part of the ability. So if the bank buster has not been crewed yet, mm. you can't do gotcha. that. So, so you, you'll need to crew it before the hex mage comes into play. But but if if your bank buster is active and the the um, the curse is on it, and okay. once it's not a creature anymore, <laughs> because the enchantment is a aura that has to be enchanted to a creature, similar That's to your sick. man lands, like you can animate your man lands in this set and then put the curse roll on it and then just say go. And now your man land is not a man anymore. So it can't be cursed. So. Okay. I, I love this card. Love this card. Almost as much as I love the next card, which is also a black one drop. Hopeless Nightmare. Hopeless Nightmare. Black Enchantment. When Hopeless Nightmare enters the battlefield, each opponent discards a card and loses two life. That's already very interesting, but there's more. When Hopeless Nightmare is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, scry two. And you have the ability to pay two and a black to sacrifice it. So if you want to get that scry two, it has a built-in way to do that. But let's just go back to that first ability. Have we ever seen a card like this? Each opponent discards a card and loses two life for one mana? No. Um, they don't actually give us a lot of one mana discard effects because it's like very, very easy for them to become problematic. Um, you know, there is Raven's Crime and there is Blackmail. And I believe those are like basically the only one mana your opponent has to discard a card effects outside of duress and thoughtsies. Like there's, there's sometimes that we get to look and there's a big restriction on what we can take. Um, but yeah, they, they do not give you a lot of spend one mana, take this card from your hand, take a card from your opponent's hand. Like that is not a design space that they work with very often. So they also don't give us a lot of lava spike cards. And this is almost a lava spike. Because that's another thing that could be very dangerous, right? So I'm trying to think of what would Lava Spike mean if it also took a card from the opponent? They would just change the whole paradigm for how that deck inter interacts. Yeah, I mean, I think I think this card is sweet. Like, again, you can't... I don't think you can really change a lot of these dials on things. Like, you know, I'm pretty, pretty excited about um, this card. Uh, I'm, I'm happy that there's not a lot of ways to flicker enchantments because uh, this would be a really really annoying one for there to be just like a efficient three mana exile and enchantment it comes back into play because this is something that you can do during your opponent's draw step or yeah during their draw step if that was a thing you know and having discard effects active at that point is really really problematic uh, because that means you can take away your opponent's entire availability to get back into a game so yeah, this this one can do some scary things. I think if it had just been a sorcery, it would already be very intriguing, like a one-shot effect. But then you would put it on a permanent. The permanent, you can just, you know, plan to put it in your Urian deck in Pioneer. Like, that's pretty good. You can bargain it away for more profits. You can just sacrifice it in the mid-game for that scry effect. It's just got so much potential, and it's just like this space we haven't really seen before. In Pioneer, it is also interesting that um, if if you want to be a more low-to-the-ground version of the Black-Red Sack deck, uh, this does let you have another way to turn on Fatal Push kind of efficiently mm. as kind of low-cost. Like, there's just not a lot of ways generically um, outside of 
you know, Fable, but you're already playing four Fables, so sometimes you, you know, have that issue. So it's always nice having something else just kind of being around. I, I don't think this will build a new archetype, but yeah, I think that this is definitely a card to keep in mind. From there, we get a couple of fairy specific cards Ego Drain, Sorcery, Black, Target Opponent Reveals Their Hand. You choose a non land card from it, that player discards that card. If you don't control a fairy, exile a card from your hand. Okay, so you always get to do the thought seize part. It's black, look at their hand, choose a non-land. Always get that. Then the question is, do you also have to exile one of your own cards of your choice? And we've seen that before. I forget the name of that card, Lawson. It was It was actually in the other Eldrain set. Um it cared about if you took a black yeah, card from your opponent. That's right. Um so yeah, I mean that card wasn't great other than in the sideboard of black decks uh, or against black decks, but um, no eco drain is super sweet. I mean, effects like this are usually better in low resource games, which are things that aggro decks want to be playing. Fairies is a tribe that is historically wanting to play something early game, be resource denying. Like the original thought has a fairy on the art taking a dude's memory so like this is both very flavorful to the tribe as well as interacts really well with what those decks generally want to be doing um yeah i I think this card is fantastic for pioneer um you know it it opens up the space for a kind of black tribal interaction deck you can play four thought seeds and you know maybe two or three ego drains and you can get to that low resource game very very consistently so yeah, it's almost misleading to link it to that previous card, because that one, you had no control over whether it was going to be a relevant card. You just had to get paired against a, a black deck. Or or I guess mm. you could like try to empty your own hand. This one, you know if you're a fairy deck, right? It's up to you if this card is a thought piece or not. So I, I could very easily imagine in a fairy's deck, yeah, you got your thought season, your ego drains, just like Lawson's saying, and now suddenly it's it's like thought season inquisition all over again, but in Pioneer. And I'm very I'm very intrigued by that. You always have the, the fail save of if you really have to, you can just lose a card from your hand. That would be terrible. But you can also just empty your hand, play a low curve deck, and then it's a one for one if you play as your last card. And if you're winning, like if you're winning on the board and you're not a fairies deck and this card is in your hand, like it is really nice to be able to go like, cool, show me your hand. Do you have exactly farewell in your hand? No? Cool. I, I win the game anyways. Like having having the ability to like even when you don't have it quote unquote turned on mm. that you like can still play it is like a, a good fail safe to have. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the dream scenario will be turn one thought sees, let me see your hand. Cool. I'll take this interaction piece. Turn two, you play the fairy dream thief. You set up your next turn and you also then ego drain your opponent. And that's fantastic. You know? So yeah, I am, I'm very excited about this. Do be careful. If you only have one fairy when you cast your ego drain, it checks on resolution. Mm. So if one of the last cards in your oh the nightmare scenario is the last card in their hand is a removal spell. If they kill your fairy <laughs> and then you don't get to take anything from them, and then the paid piper, you know, comes uh asking for oh you know gosh. his his goods, uh, you you will get blown out. So do be careful. But uh, I am very excited for it. If you like that and you're thinking of building your fairies deck, you may also want to include 
Fairy fencing, Thien Fechtkunst. I'm told that translates as fairy fencing. X and a black instant. Target creature gets minus X minus X until end of turn. It gets an additional minus three minus three if you control the fairy as you cast this spell. So different templating from Eco Drain. This one you'll know as soon as you put it on the stack whether you're getting that additional minus three minus three. This card's great. I mean, if you're a fairy's deck, this is one mana target creature gets a minus three, minus three at instant speed. Like, dead weight, eat your heart out. Um, like, that is that is insane rate. And then the fact that late game, it can be three mana target thing gets minus five, minus five. Or, oh no, they killed all my fairies. I will spend five mana to kill your thing. Like... This card, if you are a fairies deck, has an incredibly high floor and also an uh, unlimited ceiling. So this is one that I'm very excited about. I, I do think that you will have to be a fairies deck. So it is not a build around, but it is a, a tribal matters kind of card. So that is what it is. Still on the black one drops. <laughs> this next card is actually a guaranteed modern staple, Lawson. A guaranteed modern staple. Tell us about not dead after all. It's not a modern staple in my modern. <laughs> um, but uh, th this is another Undying Malice-esque effect. Uh, until the beginning of your... Uh, or until the end of your turn, target creature control gains. When this creature dies, return it to the battlefield tapped under its owner's control. Then create a wicked roll and attach it to it. The wicked roll is a plus one, plus one enchantment. And when the aura is put into a graveyard, each opponent loses one life. So cool. It's like a plus one plus one counter, but they will also lose one. Why do I have to read this one? I just find it very funny. You know, after all our talk about, you know, what will they do about Fury? <laughs> like they gotta do something about Rakdos. <laughs> like, yeah, they're gonna upgrade it. It's the one deck that gets a pure upgrade, no questions asked. <laughs> just a straight upgrade over a card that's currently playing. And it really gives a lie to people who are like, oh, maybe we should ban Undying Malice. Like, that's, that's never going to happen. Like, that, that doesn't actually solve the problem. That, that's not the issue. <laughs> it is also very comical. I, I don't think you played any Unstable, but Unstable had a mechanic where you put stickers on things. And so, you know, oh, I put the clown sticker on it. Now I have a clown Llanowar Elf. These, these rolls... This is the wicked roll, and yeah, it's a wicked grief, and it's a wicked fury. Like, I, yeah, I agree with you. It is very wicked what is happening to me right now. I, I will sign the match slip. Like, it is, ugh. <laughs> All right, Lawson, more rolls. Royal treatment. Tell us about royal treatment. All right, uh, the royal treatment. This one is uh, also a strict upgrade, but for a worse deck. Target creature you control gains hexproof until end of turn. You also create a royal roll token and attach to that creature. The royal roll token is a plus one plus one enchantment and has ward one. So in infect and decks that are interested in playing uh, one mana protection spells, this is a one mana instant that makes a enchantment that gives plus one plus one and ward one and Hexproof until end of turn. And that is a lot of words that I am very, very interested in. Um, yeah, this card is... This card is sweet. It is a little weird that um, 
This also is a card that could see play in decks like all-in enchantment decks Mm -hmm. that are interested in just having as many auras on something, but it doesn't play well with itself. You know, your your royal treatment of something, you can't have two royal rolls on something. So it doesn't quite play as well as you might want in those decks. Um, But if you were ever interested in Ranger's Guile, uh, this is the Super Ranger's Guile. So Glistener Elf will have Ward 1 now. I mean, I get what they're doing. They came up with this cool, flavorful concept of rules. And if you're going to make it cool, it better play well. And if it's going to play well, you got to give it all kinds of cheap support. But then when they're making that support, they just end up power creeping everything. Like You just get so much more out of this effect than all previous instants that give hexproof and plus one plus one. This is a permanence, creates a game object with a relevant creature type. Like imagine protecting an enchantress with this. Right, you save it from removal and you draw a card and it's now got ward one and it's bigger for the rest of the game. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, e- even though I said like this card doesn't play well with itself, it kind of does because if you royal treatment something and your opponent now has to deal with that ward one, like they might only have that one extra mana to try and kill your thing. And now you get to, oh, actually, I had a second royal treatment in my hand, so I'm going to save my creature on the next turn as well and now you're tapped out so like it is just a good card i mean it's like you know it is not the most exciting thing to say that you know upgraded ranger skyle pog but upgraded ranger skyle comma pog like that's it's kind of what it is so i mean if it was just that i would be like whatever yeah it's probably gonna see play but the enchantress line i mean i think we haven't explored that yet because the set's so new but once mm-hmm. we start finding synergies for the token enchantment or a role for that type line um i think mm-hmm. we're gonna be very happy that we got all these sweet tools yeah speaking of which another boring card but it's it's cheap and it makes a role it's embreath veteran red 2-1 creature human knight activated ability pay one and sacrifice embreath veteran to create a young hero role token attached to another target creature and this is a very interesting role Because it says enchanted creature has whenever this creature attacks, if its toughness is three or less, put a plus one plus one counter on it. So you're not getting the plus one plus one right away, but you are potentially getting a bunch of additional plus one plus ones. So that's the young hero rule. Do we actually want the Emperor Veteran? Mm, I'm not sure. One mana, two one. That later does a thing, kind of. Like... It's hard for it to be too bad, you know, and that's that's something that is kind of interesting. Um, this set does not have, unlike the first L train, a ton of stuff that care about the knight um, creature type. Uh, that is not a, a creature type that we have a ton of. Sadly, the some that we do have are already one mana two ones. So I don't think this breaks any grounds, but it is cool to have upgraded Savannah Lion again. I, I think if you're a a deck that is interested in a one red mana spell that is going to give you a roll. I think Monstrous Rage is probably the one that we're a little more interested in. It's an instant mm. that gives target creature plus two plus O oh, and gives a monstrous roll, which is plus one plus one and trample. So this is a one mana plus two plus O oh pump spell that is also going to give plus one plus one and trample. So one mana plus three plus one and trample. I mean, that's Titanic Strength. And tramp like there's 
there's some stuff going on there. And it's going to keep holding that plus one, plus one and trample. So kind of exciting, actually. It seems busted, right? I mean, busted, but like, it seems meaningfully better than all previous versions of the one mana pump. Like, well, yeah, Titan Strength is a scry one. I, I think I'd rather have the permanent plus one, plus one, actually. <laughs> and the trample. Yes. Given and, the choice. And trample. Yeah. And trample. Like, yeah, it is It is kind of wild. It It is an interesting design part that these rolls, you can only ever have one on a creature. So it's not really like you're going to play a bunch of these spells that make rolls and then do it all on one creature. Like, they they are kind of designed in which like you can play monstrous rage or you can play the one that gives hexproof or the, I guess the ward one, like you probably aren't going to play both of those in the same deck, but the first four of a card is like kind of free. So it is an interesting way of balancing it that they, they all make each other a little bit worse, which is not usually how mechanics work together, you know? Yeah, in this case, I just don't think it's going to matter at all. Like, I think this is just going to be a card that you take Prowess and Pioneer, you take Prowess and Modern, I don't know, you take Mono Red Aggro and Pioneer, and you just look at it and they're like, yeah, this is probably just better than some card we're currently playing. You want to put it on Soul Scar Mage, you want to put it on Monastery Swift Fear, you put it on Phoenix Chick. That's just for straight damage, right? It, it by itself is three damage now, plus whatever Prowess, mm-hmm. so that's four extra damage. Then next turn... Um, you're getting that extra damage and trample for the rest of the game. Your creature is that much harder to kill. They're not going to stomp it anymore because it's got that permanent toughness boost. This is just just for dealing straight damage. We're not like, even getting into like the weird stuff. Like, what if you put this on like a Dreadhorde Arcanist, and now it's got that permanent power boost, and now it's like your Arcanist is just recasting your two drops, your um, reckless impulses, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. This is an extremely interesting card. Like, yeah. Quiet Star. Yeah, definitely a Quiet Star. And, like, you know, when when a bunch of these instants and sorceries were starting to get spoiled and announced and all that, like, I, I talked to a lot of people that play very casually. And I heard people, like, getting kind of excited about, oh, you could play this with Feather. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they made instants and sorceries that are also enchantments, kind of. Feather, you're just going to randomly be able to, like, okay, I'm on just rage this creature this turn, and I rage this one this next turn, and, like, you get multiple creatures that have rolls on them, you just can't have a creature with the same roll. So, hmm. you know, it is it is very interesting to think about it that way. I, I think you put it very well, though, when you brought up the prowess creatures. Like, yeah, in Pioneer, I'm very down to put Monstrous Rage on my Soul Scar Mage. Now it's a 2-3 with Trample. That's sick. Yeah. I I mean, the Trample, I, I can't even process that. This is this card is so much damage lost. <laughs> it's so much yeah. damage. You never have to explain to me red cards. I am... I, I want I want to uh, be known as the George Washington Carver of Mountains in Limited. You know, I will <laughs> I will make it a hundred different ways. You know, we will we will figure out how to make uh Two mana, two ones playable again. One last one drop here. It's, it's a strange one. Lawson, let's talk about Ingenious Prodigy. Yes, so Ingenious Prodigy, uh, blue X for an O one with Skulk. Skulk is like being the uh, level one ring bearer. This creature can't be blocked by creatures with greater power. 
It enters the battlefield with X counters on it. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if Ingenious Prodigy has one or more plus one plus one counters on it, you may remove a plus one plus one counter on it. If you do, you get to draw a card. So it is like there was an old card with suspend that at the beginning of your upkeep every turn, you removed a suspend counter and got to draw a card. But this is killable with removal spells. I think the kind of interesting thing about this card is if you play it for X is a ton early game, as it gets smaller, it becomes harder to block, which is like not immediately apparent. Like making a giant thing with Skulk is not really impactful, but it will be small at some point if you want. So that's kind of cool, I guess. It's just such a weird card. It's so weird. It's got a lot of weird things going on. <laughs> like you see that it comes with counters and you're like, oh, oh, I wonder what it does with the counters. I wonder how that interacts with the skulk. And it's like, well, actually, you just want to take the counters off because you want to draw cards. <laughs> and then it's like, OK, so it's a card draw engine. So I want to put counters on and take the counters off. And if that's what its purpose is, I'd rather just play it on turn one. And if I do that, I'm getting a zero one skulk. <laughs> like. <laughs> What do I do with my zero one skulk? I'm not sure, but maybe I just start dumping counters onto it. You, know, you put um, your Luminarch Aspirant counters go onto here, or your um, you know, we, we were playing Invasion of Gobicon a while back. Maybe this goes into some kind of hardened scales thing in blue green. Like it's a really versatile card, and yet the thing that it really excels at is drawing cards, and that means that it's just playing a very weird role in whatever deck you're playing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I definitely will agree. Like this card is very strange. Uh there is also like a very um evil part of my brain that wants to like figure out weird things that we can do to have it have cool attacks triggers. Because if you can give it cool attacks triggers and have it be a zero power creature with skulk, it's not blockable. So that's kind of interesting, but a lot of the things that give you cool attacks triggers or please don't get blocked are on swords, which then give it a power, and I don't want it to have a power. Like, if I could at instant speed put a equipment into play and then attach to a creature, that would be sweet, but that's called Colossus Hammer, and it that, that goes good on any creature. You don't need it to be sneaking through it first, so... I, I'm afraid that this doesn't have a home, uh, but it's got enough weird lines of text that I'm like, you know, childishly excited about it. And with that, we move on to the two drops. Elvish Archivist, one in a green. Creature, Elf Artificer, zero one. Whenever one or more artifacts enter the battlefield under your control, put two plus one plus one counters on Elvish Archivist. This ability triggers only once each turn. Whenever one or more enchantments enter the battlefield under your control, draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. So you're getting your 0-1 for 2. If you're playing an enchantments deck, this draws you a card a turn, potentially. If you're playing an artifacts deck, this grows to a 2-3, and then a 4-5, and then a 6-7. And if you're somehow getting both artifacts and enchantments, you're, you're getting it all. Both of these abilities are gated by that once a turn, so that's like a little bit of a bummer, and then starting at zero one one is also kind of a bummer. 
I think the safest approach would be to just try to play this and get an enchantment just to get your card back and then just anything beyond that is upside. I don't know. I mean, this is such a such a new ask, right? Build a deck that has both artifacts and enchantments. So for me, I don't really care about the the artifact side because we have plenty of cards that are tribal big based off of number of enchantments you have or, or sorry, number of artifacts you have. And only triggering once a turn is like a little awkward to me. The one that is more interesting is the fact that um, drawing cards is always powerful, but having a limit of once per turn isn't once per turn cycle. It's once per turn. So if you can play enchantments mm. on your opponent's turn, mm -hmm. and there are 53 enchantments in Pioneer that have flash. So, you know, some of these are kind of playable. Um, you, you can play Omen of the Forge and people that have played, you know, all of the green, blue, enigmatic incarnation decks have played a bunch of very kind of medium ish cards. But if they also say comma draw card at the end, I'm pretty excited about that. And arguably one of the best cards printed in the past, like five or 10 years of magic is Leyline binding and that has flash. So there are like non-zero games I see with this card where like you on turn three play Elvish uh, uh, Archivist and then immediately play a Leyline's Binding, get rid of your opponent's thing and draw a card. And like that's that's powerful because Archivist does have to get killed at some point. It is a effect that will draw you more and more cards. So, you know, I am I am interested in it. I don't think that Elvish Archivist competes for slots in modern. Um, just because you already have Sithis and you already have Enchantress's presence, like that, sure. this is not um, it's not powerful enough. However, we don't have this in Pioneer, right? We don't have that two mana Enchantress. And then, I mean, don't forget to include in your search loss and all of the the rolled maker cards, right? Royal Treatment. Mm -hmm. This is designed for Elvish Archivist. It protects it on the opponent's turn. And by the way, I draw a card, and now it's got Ward for the rest of the game, and it's bigger. There are some cards in this set that uh, this must be green's theme and limited. They're like artifacts that make rule tokens or enchantments that make artifacts. We'll see a couple. I don't, I don't know if they made the cut in our constructive review, but there's going to be more cards like this that trigger both halves of the archivist. So yeah, maybe you just get it all. Yeah, no, it's definitely a sweet card. And yeah, I am. I'm very excited about it. I, I will say drawing cards is more important to me than counters, but if we get some extra counters, sure. All right, what's next? Uh, the next thing that we're going to uh, talk about real quick is Sir Ginger the Meal Ender. Uh, it's two mana, three one legendary artifact enchantment, or legendary artifact creature, sorry. It's a food knight. Um, it has trample, hexproof, and haste as long as your opponent controls a planeswalker. And whenever another artifact you control is put into your graveyard from the battlefield, you put a plus one, plus one counter on Sir Ginger and Scry one. Uh, you can also spend two uh, tap sacrifice. You gain life equal to its power. So the the in joke on this, if you had watched any of the Eldraine promotion, all of that originally, this is Mrs. Gingerbread that Garruk was chasing down. And this is her fighting back against the Planeswalker. So uh, she is 
a savage if there's a planeswalker on your opponent's board. Good lord, two mana, three one, trample, hexproof, haste. That is really scary. I don't think you're going to want your search injure to kill a planeswalker. I think if it has all those keywords, you just kill the player. Uh, you just you just say yeah yeah no no I don't want to kill your planeswalker. Then my guy is killable. I'm going face this this fork is for eyes you know. Um, <laughs> So yeah, Surge Ginger, like th- that's a lot of keywords, and also it gets bigger when you sack other food. It itself is a food, so yeah, it's it's doing things. Yeah, the only amendment I would make is that Garrick was not hunting Surge Ginger; it was the other way around. She was always hunting him. He was just there, like chomping on things, and then she just began her quest to get revenge for the Ginger Brute. That's got to be Magic's greatest trailer, right? Oh, by far. By far. I know people liked the War of the Spark trailer just because of that Linkin Park song, but the creativity, the pathos, the feeling in the Eldraine trailer. I guess the Kamigawa trailer was pretty good too, but th- I think this is the best one. I totally expected Sir Ginger to be a planeswalker in this set, but I guess that can't happen in the new cosmology. Yeah. You get one. You get one. And. And while we're talking super offbeat, I cannot support the War of the Spark one because Linkin Park, they're Canadian creators. I cannot support Canadian creators. Sorry, Zach Ryle. So these are these are what? my hard and fast rules I'm making oh, up on, on the fly. So Okay, so going back to the actual card, what do you think about that hmm. second line of text? Whenever another artifact you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, plus one plus one counter and scry one. That's kind of good, right? Yeah. Counts tokens, counts, um, well, tokens mainly, but if you were playing Arc Bomb Workers, you could, it would count those. I mean, should we build around that? Treasure, food, blood. It's also a food. Um, I mean, it, it's hard for this to be the build around because it is a three one. Like, hmm. this is a card that is best when it has hexproof. Mm-hmm. But if it has hexproof and you have those other game objects laying around, this will just kill people. Like there's a there's a non-zero chance that like your opponent says go and they have some random planeswalker throughout the rest of Magic's creation, and you just go like, okay, I play my Sir Ginger, you can't interact with it. I will sack two treasures to um activate these two blood tokens I currently have in play. Seven you. Like that's really scary. Out of nowhere. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, David's got some notes here. He's he's really high on this card. I don't know if he thinks it's good or just fun, but he's he's talking about playing it in some kind of black green food with Wicked Wolf and Herald of Anguish and Deadly Dispute, where I mean the Wicked Wolf can eat Sir Ginger if it has to, but what you would prefer to do is eat other foods and then have Sir Ginger get huge um while the Wicked Wolf fights off the creature. If they ever have a planeswalker, I mean, this is just such a big threat. Uh, I, I don't know if I go as far as David's saying. Maybe, maybe in modern, you pair this with Arcbar Ravager and Hardened Scales. I'm, I'm not sure about that, um, but it's potentially that powerful. Yeah, I mean, if always the thing that matters with effects like this is, is it free to sacrifice the artifacts? And mm. sometimes there are literal things that make it free. Sometimes the payoff is good enough that, like, yeah, I'm willing to spend my mana on it. 
the payoff is not quite where I'm ready just to like, I'm spending my turn activating this thing. So, you know, it's not doing that, but if the artifacts that we have are other game objects that we have created, like food, blood, um, you know, clues, all of those kind of things. Now, now we're talking, you know, because all of those things are uh, priced to be not quite worth the the expense if you could be doing other things, but sack my food, you know, two mana, gain three, put a plus one, plus one counter, scry one. Now I'm in, you know, and and that that is something that is like kind of sweet about this. So I'm in. I mean, I'm I don't I don't know if it's going to be a a format breaker, but like this card is definitely a sweet um, sideboard option. And that's usually not what we get out of two mana three ones. So there were a lot of food cards in Lord of the Rings. There's a lot of food cards in this set. There's always a chance that something's gonna just just gonna break in modern because of specifically Underworld Cookbook and Oval Chase Daredevil just filling your board with food. I don't know if Sir Ginger is that card. There's there's like a mana engine that it's a four drop, so we might not get to it in this episode, but it's in this set where it's like all of, all of a sudden your all of a sudden your food is just like tap for mana. <laughs> Something like that. Pretty innocuous and pioneer, but there's always a chance. Like, yeah, suddenly the modern food is insane. Um so we should keep that in mind. Next up, Troublemaker Oof. Simple one, simple little grizzly bear. It's one and a green, two, two creature, oof. Bargain, so you can sacrifice that artifact creature, excuse me, artifact enchantment or token as you cast the Troublemaker Oof. And if you do, when it enters the battlefield, you exile target artifact or enchantment and opponent controls. Plenty of cards like this, you know, creatures that take out an opponent's artifact or enchantment. Uh, and I guess it all depends on whether bargaining is something that you actually want to do. Yeah, we have this new tool. We're probably not going to build around it, but if we do build the bargain deck, we'll be turning to cards like this. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like seeing options like this exist. Fine in your sideboard. Cool. No notes. Are you interested in a red riding hood? I am. I'm very interested in Red Riding Hood. Uh, Ruby, the Darling Tracker, is uh, one red and one green for a legendary creature, Human Scout. Uh, there are one, two with haste that says uh, whenever it attacks while you control a creature with power four or greater, Ruby gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. And it also has tap to add a red or a green. So the thing about this card that is sweet to me is one of the classic problems with ramp creatures is cool you play them on turn one and turn two and then you get to play your threes fours and fives a little ahead of schedule and then you have a random clunker just kind of sitting around you know it's it's kind of middling you know last time we had a, a two mana mana dork that was good um there there were two of them in the format one of them was a two one and the other one was an o three with hexproof and if you wanted to be attacking at some point in the game, you played the one that had two power because eventually it just attacked. And if you were not interested in that, you had a, a hexproof option. This does not have the hexproof, but it does attack well. So if you play it on turn two, turn three, you play a four drop. On turn four, that four drop might have had four power. So you might get to attack with a three four. And so... You're, you're going to have some very, very aggressive draws with this card just because it curves it into itself, which is cool. So you make plenty of compelling points about Ruby as a ramp creature, as an attacking creature. 
We got to talk bard class, though, Lawson. I mean, has there ever been a more perfect card for bard class? And I say this as an avowed bard class addict. I've been sober from bard class for a while. I've pissed away most of my tickets on Magic Online trying to make this card work. It's been bad. And yet, we have this card. It's just, this ruby is amazing with bard class. Amazing. What's the issue? So, bard class... The dream, the dream is that you'll get to that level five and then you'll turn through your deck. You can just keep going as long as you don't run out of mana. In order to not run out of mana, you have to play Mox Amber, which is not a great card. And there just aren't enough of them. Now you have four more cards that just go up mana, right? Once you've leveled up the bard class once, Ruby is free. Ruby has haste. So Ruby is going to be a two, three for free that adds a mana. So now you're just like almost guaranteed. Um, to make it through the deck. And Pioneer, where Bard Class has a little bit more of a pedigree, they have to get Bergy down to do that. And that always felt like a little clunky to me. Like, I know it's it's always there on the winning list, but it's not like a good card. So if I can replace those with Ruby, I, I'm much more interested. And then the beautiful thing is that that ramp, right, getting to level 5 is not easy. It's 5 mana to get to level 5 on... Not level 5. Three? Is it level three? Level three. Thank yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I have the card right in front of me. Level three is five mana to get there. It takes a while, and yeah, any any bit of ramp helps. So you have this kind of natural curve, right? Where you bard class on two, you want to level it up on turn three. Now you've got one extra mana, and you can just empty your hand. You play, you play the Ruby, now you've got two mana. So you can now play like a Xenagos or something. Or you know, Grand Warlord Rodder, whatever you want to do. Like your part, your part class deck is probably going to have some four drops in it that just clunk in your hand. You're happy to have ramp creatures. Like I play the um the two mana Rada in modern, and Ruby's just like so much better, so much better. That haste is so good. So I have to laugh at you for a second because I know so many magic cards off the top of my head, and I played a lot of this draft format of Bard class, and the sentence, I mean, when you see this card, you have to think Bard class, right? Is maybe the most outrageous thing someone could ever say. Because I could not find Bard class on Scryfall because I thought it was a saga. No, it's a class. Obviously, it's that mm-hmm. other enchantment subtype. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, so it does seem insane with Root. It seems like these two are conjoined at the hip. They've they've never lived life without each other. I agree with you that uh, that I think Ruby is good with Bard class. I do now that I am looking at Bard class. I want to talk about the other red green legendary creature Please. that is also in the set. Uh, Agatha the Vile Cauldron. Okay. So Agatha is uh, a one one that makes the activated abilities of creatures you control cost X less, where X is Agatha's power. And this effect cannot reduce the mana of that uh, effect less than one. And then it also has red, green, four other creatures you control get plus one, plus one and gain haste and trample until end of turn. So one of the the cute things with Agatha is she is really, really expensive. If it costs you, it'll never cost you six mana to activate her. It'll always cost you at least at least five because she's going to discount herself by one Mm. but if you have given her one additional power in any way including 
the first starting level of Bard class, it only cost four mana to activate Agatha, giving everything plus two or giving everything plus one plus one, making it even easier to then activate it a second time, so on and so forth. So it is actually kind of cute that Bard class lets you put a bunch of things into play, give them some additional power and toughness, and then Agatha can give them trample and also haste. So that is actually kind of powerful. So weird, weird that uh, all all AFR was needing was ELD <laughs> too. Good to know. I imagine I would play like one Agatha in the Bard class deck because it's kind Coward. of it's kind of free. It just doesn't do very much. I'm trying to think of any other creatures in that deck that actually benefit from Agatha's cost reduction. Nothing's coming to mind. The only card that jumps to mind is Goro Goro, but that's a card that Agatha would replace because Goro Goro is only in there to give your team haste. And Agatha takes like more mana to do that, but if you have Ruby, you can like get there. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Agatha makes the cut or not. Something to think about. She does, however, come with a nice little pot of stew. So Agatha is one of the three witches, along with Talion the Kindly Mage and Elsa of Frozen fame. Each witch has their magic object, and Agatha's is the Soul Cauldron. Agatha's Soul Cauldron. Legendary artifact, two mana. This is such a weird card, Lawson. It has three abilities. The first is, you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to activate abilities of creatures you control. Okay, that's fine. Sure. Second ability, creatures you control with plus one plus one counters on them have all activated abilities of all creature cards exiled with Agatha's Soul Cauldron. Okay, so what is that all about? Well, the third ability says, tap, exile target card from a graveyard. When a creature card is exiled this way, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. So we talked a lot about activated abilities because... You know, I, I kind of have an obsession with Omen Hawker and Training Grounds. And what we found is they're just not super good. However, <laughs> they're very intriguing. They're kind of fun to think about. So what can you do with Agatha's Soul Cauldron, Lawson? So, I mean, this card is actually busted. Um, this card will see modern play. It might see modern play as a two to four of. What? In Yagmoth. Oh, so okay. one with Yogmoth, it is like it ter- it gives a mm. lot of things the Yogmoth text, which gets around the problem of people keep killing my Yogmoth. But the more powerful thing that it does is uh, the way it works with Grist. So if you exile mm-hmm. a Grist, all creatures you control that have a plus one plus one counter now have the Grist abilities. You don't have to be a Planeswalker to activate Planeswalker abilities. As long as you have a Planeswalker ability, you can activate your abilities. Now, you do have to have the correct number of counters on you. So if you don't have, you know, two counters on you, you can't do the minus two. But if you have no counters on you, you can do the plus one. So you can plus one any creature and do the mill a card, make an insect. And so... If you have, hypothetically, a thing that says creatures come into play with a plus one plus one counter on them, you can activate Grist or activate your creature that is acting like Grist. When the ability resolves, you will have a 1-1 in play that has a 1-1 counter on it. The stack will be clear. 
And you can activate that creature's ability because Planeswalker abilities do not have summoning sickness. So you could just keep activating and you could go through your whole library if you're interested in that. My God. You know, if you want to play um, the artifact from Kaladesh, that is a tribal matters thing that you choose a creature type, you just choose insect and then you go, cool. Make a 1-1, one, one, 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 and you just can go through your whole library. And then maybe you say go, and you just end the turn with 32 2s in play. Maybe you, at some point, hit uh, another creature with an um, effect that you want to do instead. The world is your oyster. Choose. Um, but, yeah, this card, this card is doing a lot of things. It also just lets you put counters on things. Like I, I think the, the thing that is very easy to miss about this card is two mana tap, exile a card from your graveyard. If you exile a creature, you get to put a counter on something. So like this card just randomly will be putting counters on things. This card has a pretty high floor and will open up combos. So Okay, so there's a lot to unpack in what you just said. And I feel like we're we're only scratching the surface of the card. <laughs> so you're saying that, hey, first of all, in a known tier one, tier two modern deck, Yogmoth, this card just upgrades it. This just slots directly yes. in. Right. I'm looking at a Yogmoth list from the past weekend. In addition to the four Yogmoths and four Grists, it's already playing the following cards that get plus one plus one counters. It's playing Young Wolf, Orcish Bowmasters, Stranger Root Geist. Even without the Yogmoth or the Grist, like it's just uh, you get this extra bonus from the Soul Cauldron. Your amassed army now gets to make mana off Wall of Roots or whatever. Then you're saying that you can build around the infinite insect thing. So you're saying that would happen in Yogmoth or somewhere else? So you can do it in Yogmoth, but um, you would need uh, an effect that puts an, a counter on things that come into play. So something like the Great Henge or mm. uh, the green, green, green one from a couple of sets ago or tribute to the world tree. Yeah. Uh, metallic mimic. Yeah, there, there's a bunch of versions of this effect. I don't know which one we want to do the most. There's also a world where like you just look at creatures that have like super, super high mana value and you just like accidentally throw their their ability on things so like grizzle brand you just mm -hmm. tap and exile your grizzle brand and now every creature with plus one plus one counter has pay seven life draw seven so that'll be like a new brew right a yeah. new style of brew but i mean that's that's super sweet and then there's the fair use i mean it's just better than unlicensed hearse i, I kind of hate to say it but it, like you don't have to hit creatures if you're just trying to hit on someone's graveyard this gets one card at a time. That's probably good enough. And then it incidentally gives you plus one, plus one counters, which are probably just going to do more over the course of the game than crewing the hearse would. So you're looking at like a, just like a graveyard hate piece. <laughs> that is also this combo piece. And that's just the good combos. We haven't even talked about the bad combos yet. And I, I have like a whole screed, a whole paragraph here from David, like six different necrotic ooze inspired combos that he wants to try trying to port it over to pioneer right he wants to go infinite with incubation druid and the new fairy that costs blue uh, i think that was one of the leaks so we'll talk about that next time but that goes infinite 
he's interested in finding cards that are easy to transform. And then in the graveyard, you have something that's hard to transform. Uh, or maybe it's vice versa. So vice versa. You transform something hard by exiling like a concealing curtains from the graveyard or a captive weird. And now you can just flip your Rona or your Elish Norn, um, Jacob Hawken inspector. I wasn't expecting to say that today. There's all kinds of weird stuff. You can have redundant copies of patchwork crawler. If you really want to the necrotic who's thing in modern, you can make Omen Hawker happen. You can try to make it happen. There's so much you can do. It's such a fun card and apparently such a powerful card too. So this is high on the list. Uh, it's, it's up there for me with monstrous rage <laughs> and yeah. with the three, two for black. And there's just so many weird like abilities that don't really get put onto cards, but like, you know, I, I never got to play a Balandros Witherbloom. That was the elder dragon, but I had the <laughs> pay 10 life untap all your lands. Like, Cool. That is a thing that you could do, possibly, maybe. I don't know how good it would be, but it's sweet that that's an option. Yeah, I don't know. The, the Grist one is the one that I am the most excited about, mostly mm. because um, every time that there's a not super straightforward interaction with Grist, it makes me think that Wizards will just, like, errata that card to not have its top text, because I just hate that top text the most. It's just, like, so weird to me, the number of things that it does. It's strange that you can play a planeswalker in your amori creature deck it's weird to me that you can eldritch evolution it into play with a grafticker's cage it's so weird like it's just it's a creature when it's uh on the stack but it's not a creature when it's in play you can remove solid but you can't negate it you can and just like ugh. all right so high marks for agatha's soul cauldron uh, at least on the brewability scale Next up, we have the Goose Mother. The Goose Mother. X, green, blue, legendary creature, bird, hydra. 2-2 two, two flying, and it enters with X plus one plus one counters on it. So that means if X is zero, you're just getting a 2-2 two, two flying for two. For three mana, you get a 3-3 three, three flying for three. So that the rate is okay here. But that's not all. When the Goose Mother enters the battlefield, create half X food tokens rounded up. Whenever the Goose Mother attacks, you may sacrifice a food. If you do, draw a card. So rounded up is kind of interesting. That's, that's kind of generous. So that means X equals one. We're paying three mana for a three, three flying Goose Mother and we get a food. And then we can cash that food in to draw cards. Um, X equals two, you only get one food. So half of X, that's whatever. But you get a four, 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 four. I don't know, Lawson, what do you think? I think this card is fine. Um, I was really excited when I saw green, blue, X, Hydra, because mm -hmm. I, I thought Hydrate Crisis. And this this very much does feel like the you went to uh, Walmart and, you know, you're like, can we get Frosted Flakes? And your mom's like, we've got Frosted Flakes at home. It's just Goose Mother. It's it's not it's not Hydrate Crisis, you know? This, this isn't a cast trigger, but this thing is very aggressive, you know? X equals one and X equals three, I think, are going to be the two main places that you find the goose. Mm -hmm. um, and in those cases, the goose is loose. Um, but outside of exactly that, I am not the most excited about this. It is it is a little frustrating that it uh, it does have to attack to get those those um, draw cards. I, I wish these were like golden foods that you could <laughs> sack 
for themselves to either draw the card or gain the life, or maybe maybe you gain one and draw a card, like you know. But that's a yeah small complaint. I think it's sweet. X equals zero seems fine, right? It's a decent two drop, and then you get your food from somewhere else. But you know, food's pretty cheap. Sure. I mean, I I, I want this card to be a three three. Mm. Three mana three three flying extra rectangle is like you know everything that i preach about so all right we power on through the two drops lord skitter's blessing one in a black enchantment when lord skitter's blessing enters a battlefield create a wicked rule attached to target creature you control the wicked rule is plus one plus one and when it's put into a graveyard each opponent loses one life Not the same rule that we saw on not dead after all so you play Lord's Hero's Blessing, it ETBs, you buff one of your creatures. Then it says, at the beginning of your draw step, if you control an enchanted creature, you lose one life and you draw an additional card. So comparing this to Phyrexian Arena, it's cheaper, it happens on turn two. Um, it all depends on having that creature in play. I don't know, is that, is that reliable enough? Is this doing enough? I love this card if we're a black beatdown deck. Like, imagine going turn one, you play the Spiteful Hexmage, and turn two, you play this. Your Hexmage is now a 4-3. Oh! It removes the other roll. No. So, like, that one, two is really brutal. And then, no. if your deck that cares about enchantments, <laughs> this is super sweet, because this is two enchantments for two mana. So... I think that this card is the worst it is when you're like, I want Phyraxian Arena. And if you're doing anything else with it, it's lit. Like, it's it's doing some kind of sweet stuff, and also you're going to draw a couple of extra cards. Don't worry about that. But if if we're playing, like, a one-drop, and then we're just, like, skittering on them, like, that's, that's going to be sick. Okay. You will want to play multiple things that have enchantments. Uh, randomly, this does actually play pretty well with itself. Um... Like, if you go, like, turn one, one drop, turn two, Lord Skittering's Blessing, I think literally the best turn three play might be, like, second one drop, second Lord Skittering's Blessing, get to work. Like, that seems like a really, really sweet way to just, like, grind your opponent into the ground while also smashing their skull in. So, I mean, I'm excited about this. I'm not talking about Modern. Um, Y'all will probably notice I'm not talking about Modern for most of these cards, so... Um, you know, this is, this is a pioneer masters, the set. So pioneer masters. I like that. Also very interesting that Lord Skitter's blessing gives two artifacts in a single card. There are not that many cards yet in magic that do that. Enchantments. Yes. Yeah. David. Oh, sorry. Thank you. David has a note here about Archon of Sun's Grace, right? Just any constellation card. This is one of the best things you can do to just trigger constellation a bunch of times. Um, so it's got a lot of potential. I don't know how often I'll be actually playing it because I just think it's fundamentally these these effects underperform. But um, that's the Ephyrexian Arena half, and I think you're exactly right, Lawson. That's the least exciting part of the card. I've got four foil Japanese Doomwick Giants, so I'm ready. <laughs> Get it in. Charming Scoundrel. Charming Scoundrel, one in a red, human rogue. One, one haste. And when Charming Scoundrel enters a battlefield, you choose one, and there are three things to choose. I guess that's the charm. 
Okay, it's like a charming prince. You have a choice of three things. The choices are, you may discard a card if you do draw a card. So we call that a rummage. Option two, create a treasure token. Option three, create a wicked roll token attached to target creature you control. What the heck, Lawson? <laughs> Why it's is this wicked. card so generous? <laughs> you get all this stuff? Well, you get one of them. Yeah, but you get all these choices, and it's on, it's on a haste creature. At the bare minimum, it's a 2-2 haste for two. Uh, it ramps you into your four drop. I mean, and this is like a Winota enabler. I'm not sure. If it's late game, it discards. You need a discard enabler. It's all that. So compare this to Wily Goblin. You know? <laughs> How sad is Wily Goblin? Charming Scoundrel, it's like you get all the stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy that they've named a card after me. You know, that's always that's always a, a good moment. Um, no, it's just this card is sweet. No, I I'm a big fan of it. Um, you can you can turn your one mana three two that was cursed into a wicked man. You know, and then you hit your opponent for five on turn one or turn two. Sorry. Um, I think the mode that you want to do the least amount of is probably the rummaging. But late game, like getting a free rummage is nice. It is also kind of sweet that if your opponent is at one life, this card does just kill them. You just like you get to put the wicked on the charming scoundrel and then attack. And then if your opponent hmm. doesn't block, they die. If they do block, they also die. Like, you know, um, wicked as a enchantment type, because the rolls also you can only have one on at a time. Like if you are all in on the wicked roll, you can kind of cash in each of those for one damage as you find each new one so i don't know it's got got a lot of room it's very good at all the things it does and paradoxically that makes it harder to envision what actually we're supposed to do with it Mm -hmm. but yeah this card is pushed yeah i'm in i'm in for it you know i don't know what i'm doing with it yet but it's got its hand outstretched it's just saying come with me i'm I'm coming you don't have to tell me twice you know um i'm on for the adventure not the adventure of bramble familiar our first creature that is actually has the um ability to be on an adventure Mm. one green and one for a two two that taps for a green or you can spend a green and one to discard it and return it to your hand or you could send it on an adventure uh, a fetch quest uh sorcery uh, mill seven cards, then put a creature enchantment or land card from among them milled onto the battlefield. So this is a, a two mana creature that ramps you that late game lets you be a big spell that also after you've done the seven mana sorcery form, you can just play the creature again and then keep getting the spell. So late game, this will win you the game. If you draw a blank, you get to just like, all right, Bramble Familiar, discard the card that did nothing. Go on another fetch quest. So if we're milling seven cards at a time, we can only choose something from among those seven. Creature enchantment or land. So what what kind of density of big payoffs do I actually need in order for my fetch quest to like be worth seven mana? So I think that's the wrong way to look at it. Okay. If your deck is at all interested in a two-mana creature that is a mana dork, this card is mm. sweet. Because if, if we're like a... A, a big red green deck where we're just going to have like five drops in our deck mm-hmm. at some point they will have killed all of our five drops and we will just have like some random creatures and if you have nothing to do with your mana having a look at the top seven you know 
tooth and nail one of them into play, like, oh, that's really cool. And that that just becomes literally every single draw step of yours. Does this card do anything? No? Cool. Well, I've got nine mana because I've got seven lands and two mana dorks in play. Flip this thing around, do the hokey pokey, turn yourself around. Like, it, it just, it always lets you have that buyout. So that that's kind of the sweet part of it to me. Also, it's an elemental raccoon. You can't tell me raccoons aren't adorable, so... <laughs> They got a lot of Disney going on in this set. So is this meant to be Miko, I guess, the, the raccoon from Pocahontas? Is that what's happening here? Before my time. Sorry. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I forget that we're not actually the same age. <laughs> Your soul is older. All right. We power on through the two drops. Spellbook vendor. Excuse me. Shrouded shepherd. Shrouded shepherd. Shrouded shepherd. Creature, Spirit Warrior. When Shrouded Shepherd enters a battlefield, target creature you control gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. It is a 2-2 creature. That's kind of interesting because it's not that bad. It reminds me of some decent common from, I can't remember which draft format. So like that is better than it looks, but it also has an adventure. The adventure is Cleave Shadows. It's off color. It's black and a one. Sorcery, creatures your opponents control get minus one, minus one until end of turn. That's not super desirable and constructed, but I mean, it's possible that it's possible that the package here is just enough. I mean, the biggest part about this card, and it's kind of weird, is this card has crazy good creature types. Spirit, Hmm. like most spirits have flash or are flyers, and this does not have either of those keywords, but with rattle chains, it does. It gains flash from rattle chains, oh. and the moment you can ETB the plus two plus two at instant speed, like that's okay. Now we're really talking. So that's sick. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty excited about that. Also, just like if you're a deck that is at all interested in the two two portion of it, the fact that you just have this like sideboard option that just says destroy all mana dorks that your opponent has like yeah i'm super interested in that like i i lose game one against um oh no no, no. i i randomly beat mono green in game one i lose game two now game three we're on the uh play i go one drop go they go one drop go and then i go cool shepherd kill your one drop they're like oh that's that's gonna be a problem because that's going to be a two two later yeah i think i think this card is sweet and kind of innocuous I don't exactly know how it's going to fit into the spirits yet. I don't know what comes in and out. I am not the master of blue-white cards that are technically playable, but it's got something going on. Yeah, that rattle chains line is super interesting. Okay, so a bit of a dark horse there for Shrouded Shepherd. Next up, Spellbook Vendor, one and a white human peasant, 2-2 Vigilance. At the beginning of combat on your turn, you may pay one. When you do, create a sorcerer rule token attached to target creature you control. The sorcerer rule says plus one plus one, and whenever this creature attacks, scry one. So the spellbook vendor can dish out the sorcerer rules to as many creatures as you have at a cost of one each once per turn. You can even put it on your yourself or itself, I should say. The question is, is that good enough, Watson? Um. Well, if if we just want to look at 
the sorcerer role as a one mana or as as a plus one plus one counter that lets you do some scrying. It's it's kind of like a bad Luminarch aspirant. I think the more interesting thing about it is well, it's a it's a enchantment coming into play. Mm-hmm. And if you need to turn on revolt, you can just target something two turns in a row. The second one coming into play will make you lose the first one. Now you've got Revolt turned on. Like, that's not automatic in the format. Like, I don't know. It, it plays fine. It's it's always a little sad when a two-drop is not great on turn two. This card's great on turn three. So if you want to look at it more as a three-drop, that's, like, probably a little more reasonable. I don't think it's quite going to be good enough, but I, I, I like what they're doing, you know? And if there is a sweet enchantment stack that is doing something big with the O2 that makes mana equal number of enchantments you have, this card will put multiple enchantments into play over a couple of turns, so it could let you, you know, have some giant mana if we're doing that. But other than that, I'm I think this will not quite make it, you know? Any interest in the Tangled Colony? Yes. A ton of interest, actually. Um, uh, Black and one. uh, Rat. At three two, a tangled colony can't block, and whenever it dies, you create X one one black rat creature tokens with this creature can't block, where X is the amount of damage dealt uh, to it this turn. So, the reason why I like this card so much is I don't see the can't block line as a downside. It's always hard for two mana three twos to block. They're attacking. Um, <laughs> and and this card is like not fun to block because if you block it and you trade, cool, you trade and now I get to make a couple of creatures and oh, you you blocked and it didn't trade? Well, that's because you put a 4-4 four, four on my guy. Now I get four one ones. Like, it's, it's very difficult to kill Tangled Colony with damage and not feel like you got got. You need to kind of exile this thing to um, solve that problem. And so, yeah, I'm I'm excited for the colony because of that. Also, like, if, if the rat um, subtext matters at all, like, if this makes three rats and then you get to put, you know, a wicked roll on all of your rats, like a five drop lets you do... The game might just end. Like, if, if you make five rats that have, you know, the wicked roll on it, like, they're two twos, and if they die, your opponent loses one. So, yeah, this card is, like, very, very exciting to me. Again, it has to be in a black deck that cares about attacking. Those are a lot of restraints, but I like attacking, so. So I think it was March of the Machine had the card Carry Monks the Rat King. It's like a goblin ringleader, but it only costs three, and it looks one card deeper. So five cards deep to grab as many rats as you want, including more, more copies of Karamonarchs. Kind of interesting card, there just aren't any playable rats, or there weren't at the time. Some people who experimented with it said, okay, we're only like three or four rats away, and this set alone has about three or four interesting rats that you might consider for constructed. This card, for curve reasons alone, might be just like a rat for that deck. I guess the question I'm stuck on is, do I want to go out of my way to enable the tokens? And if that's the case, I got to figure out a way to actually deal damage to the Tangled Colony because I can't count on my opponent blocking. They, that's their choice. 
I, I can help you a little bit. Um, the rat you're talking about, it does have one more line of text. I do. I'm just pulling it up right now because it, it's hard to believe that that card can have even more text. But um, it does also give all rats you control toxic. Is that, oh. No, I'm kidding. Um, what? But <laughs> yeah, it, it does. It does give other rats you control toxic. But having having a bunch of little one run one one rats running around that have toxic does kind of make this thing unblockable. So if you go turn to the, the Tangled Colony and do turn three uh, Kermonics, your opponent just can't block your 3-2. Because if your 3-2 ever dies and you now have three one ones with Toxic running around, like you, you will actually just poison people to death with rats. So, Okay. Another way you might get those rats is by um, having your Tangled Colony fight something. And we got mm -hmm. a new toy for this. Uh, really interesting card. Callus Sellsword. One in a black human soldier. It's a 2-2. Two, two. Callus Sellsword enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it for each creature that died under your control this turn. Whatever. That's not the interesting part. The interesting part is that he comes with an adventure. The adventure is burned together. Red sorcery. Target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to any other target then sacrifice it. Kind of a strangely worded fling right does that or thud i guess i should say mm -hmm. um you don't sacrifice the thing upon casting it's not an additional cost it happens upon resolution of the adventure target creature you control okay so power to any other target that includes players includes planeswalkers it includes battles of course who can forget magic before battles it's, it's changed our whole paradigm on these things then you sacrifice it then you can play your Callous Soul Sword. It's not super desirable, but the cards like Thud have always been so unique and like so almost there that I'm just wondering if having the ability to cash it out for a 2-2 or a 3-3 suddenly makes the deck doable in a way that it wasn't before. The one awkward part of this card is it actually is a little worse than Thud at doing the thing that you're describing. Oh, actually, sorry. Because Callous Sellsword does target two things, if they kill the thing that you target of yours, mm. the ability will still resolve, even though it doesn't have all of the legal targets, because it still has one legal target, it will just fizzle. But it will fizzle by going on an adventure instead of fizzling to your graveyard, like other things that say target, because no. it, one of the two targets still exists. That's the way it works with fight mechanics. Um, it's the way that it will work here as well. So Interesting. It it does get around that problem, of course, like classic problem of sorcery speed, my thing against your thing, and then they kill your thing. Their thing is still around, and you've spent some time trying to do this interaction. So I will also say, I think the coming into play with counters on it is like not unreasonable. A card is like, how many counters do you need to go on it for it to be powerful? Well, it's a two minute two two. Hmm. They don't give us two mana three threes, really. So, one? All right. This turn, two things died. All right, it's a four four. Bah! Like, hmm. that's that's now kind of reasonable, so. Well, it died under your control, though. Sure. Huh. But creatures you play die all the time. <laughs> that's why we have the, a whole podcast about talking about sweet things that could happen, you know? I'm going to keep my eye on this card. It seems, yeah, I agree it's worse than Thud, and, and Thud was already kind of marginal. And yet, 
it's actually a card you can use where thud just sits in your hand you just like can't mm-hmm. ever cast thud yeah no i mean i'm very interested in it lots to think about i i do want to talk about uh abraya uh, uh, the dreaming duelist it's another fairy my my people um two mana two two flying flash just one blue and one black whenever another fairy enters the battlefield under your control each opponent loses one life fairies are not here to to stay around forever they are here to do damage they are aggressive and they are closing games out having a two mana lord-esque effect that is also evasive is like this is all i want to do I want to play my, my one drop on turn one. I want to play this thing on turn two. And then I want to just one for one removal spell as I randomly throw another like one, one flyer into play every once in a while. But just like this card is everything I am. I'm interested in doing so very, very excited for this. It's a tribal card. So you consider this powerful enough to treat it as a Lord. Yeah. This extra life for every time the fairy enters under your control. Yeah, because it's it's a little bit worse when the when you're attacking turn after turn, but generically, if you're attacking turn after turn, like things have already gone well for you. Um, it is nice that if the the board stalls out a little bit, that the pings just go straight to the head. And the other big benefit of fairies is a lot of them play with flash, so you get to know if the coast is clear to play creatures. So that that is also one of the kind of hidden things is that your opponent might not know how much danger they're in. And then at the end of their turn, you play mm. this, you play another fairy, they lose one life automatically. You go to combat, you attack them with two things in the air. They take four or five points of damage. You play another fairy. Like it is very easy to lose seven or eight points of life immediately to something like this. And plus a few other things. So, yeah, and the deck is starting to shape up. I mean, we talked about those two one-mana spells, Fairy Fencing and the other one, the Thoughtseize. Mm-hmm. Thoughtseize at home, and maybe the one-drop. So you can, for starters, just assemble all those into one deck and see what happens. But yeah, we'll have to see the whole spoiler first. Pretty cool that Fairies is coming back, and then with Lorwyn coming back on the horizon next year or two years from now a good time to be a fey queen say less say less all right lawson i think the clock is about to strike midnight on this week's episode and it's actually 11 59 p.m for me right now Ooh. so maybe we should cut it here is there one more two drop you want to talk about um i wouldn't say there's any more two drops that i want to talk about there, there is something interesting that I do want to just kind of bring up about the kind of design for this set. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the first time we've had um, split card-esque um, in colors for adventures. The first time we had adventures, if you were a black creature, you were a black adventure. If you were a black-red card, you if you, were, if you were on an adventure, it was exactly black-red. This set has quite a few cards that are... Uh, adventures that are of different colors so that is an interesting um, design space Um, they also gave us a couple of cards that are super cheap adventures and then super expensive backends and the first time they basically only gave us beanstalk giant like that Um, those are cards that i always keep an eye on for 
solitude and shoal and you know pitch spell reasons anything that is modal like these adventure cards are just going to be inherently a little more flexible and having another thing to do with them gives them even more flexibility and playability so um those are just things that i would keep in mind when it comes to kind of evaluating cards in this set do not throw any of these cards away at first glance because you think they've got too much going on. This set, just like the first time L-Train came around, it is very easy to look at a card and be like, wow, that is doing too many things. It it should just focus on this one or this thing. You don't have to check all the boxes for everything. For anyone that drafted L-Train the first time, like, there were almost no cards that didn't see limited play. And there were 15 deck archetypes. So, like, just because it doesn't do everything all the time doesn't mean it doesn't do enough most of the time. So um, be very careful when evaluating cards just generically in this set. They have fit a lot of words um, on. So should be should be a great time. Very excited. I think that's good advice. Yeah. Preview season, preview week, I guess, week and a half. It can be overwhelming. Especially when every card has like three or four abilities on it, has cards nestled within cards. We gotta simplify, right? Find the thing that this card is doing that is doing really well. And then you, I think what we're seeing often is that, yeah, that's good enough. And then you get all this other stuff too. So I think for that reason, these cards are going to hit. This may take some time for them to find their homes, but I think we're gonna look back on this set as another level up moment in just like the baseline power of the tools that we use to execute our strategies. Definitely. And I'm very, very excited for this. So if you don't see anything immediately that you're excited for in your deck um, of choice, uh, give it a moment. Give it a moment. Read the card again. You, you might find something. So, Good advice. All right. We didn't make it through the two drops yet, so we'll pick up with that next time. I believe next week the full set will be out. We'll try to bite off the rest of it uh, in one go. But yeah, Lawson, it's been a pleasure. Thanks as always for lending us your keen, limited, and modern, and pioneer, and old soul brain. Anything I can do. Um, you know, I, I'm always happy to, you know, yell and complain about the madness that is magic. Um, you know, this, uh, this was one of the sets that kind of got cut short because of the pandemic. And so I'm very excited for people to get to enjoy these cards. I'm going to be playing in the limited Grand Prix in Las Vegas. So if there are mm. any other um, people that are, you know, all in on, you know, that side of the magic world, feel free to buzz me on Twitter, the discord, anything like that. I'm always happy to say hello and rant in person. Um, I, I will never get enough complaint equity out of, you know, the madness that is wizards uh, decision-making um, something, something preordained is legal in modern something, something, now it's fixed something something so um yeah always good time all right well good luck to you in vegas lawson uh and good luck to everyone out there we'll see you next time this concludes part one of our brewer's guide to wilds of eldraine tune in next week for the second half of our set review and our top picks for modern and pioneer support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you 
join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. While the guy that I'm doing a podcast with is away, I'm going to record a little Snapchat. And yes, there is an audio recording of this. So while he's editing, he's going to find out that uh, on another monitor off to the side is the UFC fights. So this is this is our little secret, Hannah, um, in this little Snapchat that I will probably get a text from Dan in about a week. But he walked away. So we get to leave a little Easter egg.